get started. I have, I've been looking forward to this for, honest to goodness, two years. So I was hired two years ago, and I was like, I can't wait to preach on Song of Songs. And the staff was like, you should do it, you should do it. And I was like, yeah, but there's this, there's that. We, we, it, it just, this is where it fell. And so for two years, I've been looking forward to, to preaching on this. If, you are, if you're here and you're single, um, then, then just I want you to have this in your frame of mind. First of all, um, in three weeks, uh, so the end of February, we're, we're going to... Uh, we're going to have a sermon that's directed towards uh, like the single mentality towards Christ. It'll still apply to married people, but I just want to let you know Pastor Eric's working on that. I said Pastor Eric because I think of him as a pastor. He's, yeah, you can call him that. I don't care. Um, anyway, uh, so that threw me off big time. Um, but if you're single, this, this is my hope for you in this, in this series is number one, like if you're going to be married one day, th- this should educate you. It should show you what to anticipate. You'll have a better idea of what you're getting into. Um, if you're a person who's single and you're like, I'm just not going to get married again, then my, my advice to you would be that, that Song of Solomon is really picturing and, and pointing us to a greater love, and that's God's love for us. So you should be going, wow, God really loves me. Like just that, that's incredible that he would pursue me personally. Um, and, and so that's, that's my hope for you wherever it is, right? All right. So, the series is called Drifted, because what I feel, as, as we talk about this as a, as a team, I feel like we drift away from a selfless love really quickly and really easily. The idea that I'm going to care more about you than I care about me is something we just naturally, we drift away from. Um, and, and so I think we, we drift towards a more self-centered love, uh, a love that I often talk about, and I'll, I'll talk about marriage counseling because I do a lot of marriage counseling, but I talk about it in marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling from the concept of what I call roommate marriages. Roommate marriages are just what they sound like. We're not divorced, but we're not exactly like thrilled to be around each other all the time. We just kind of coexist. I think every marriage is tempted to drift there. And what I hope to do in the series is say, you shouldn't. It's not worth it. It's not what God designed you for. It's going to take effort. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take forgiveness. But God has something better for you if you're willing to put in the effort and let him work in an area that we don't often like to let him work. So I think we drift away from what's, what's good and what's pure, and we drift towards something that's just easier uh, and doesn't cost us as much. I think us as a society as well, I think we've drifted away from love and sexuality on God's terms and we just put it on our own, and we're expecting it to work as good as what God designed it to work, and it can't possibly because we're playing by a different set of rules. We'll talk about that next week and the week after. So this week is really just about the idea of understanding that God has given an incredible gift to us, so let's enjoy it in its fullest, um, the way that he designed it to be. A big part of this whole drift comes down to this one sentence, and we had like a ton, the team did a great job putting together a ton of really awesome slides, and then the projector broke, so it is what it is. Um, So you just pretend, like, you know, if I point up there, you just imagine whatever the perfect slide would be. (laughs) Good. It's like the Patriots winning the Super Bowl or something. Oh, come on, it's a tough crowd. (laughs) Um, So so here you go. This this is where I think the drift comes from. Uh, We live in a society that loves what love can do for you. We live in a society that loves what love can do for you. Loves the fact that love can make us happy, can make us feel like we're not alone. Love that it can validate us, that it can give us a hope or a belonging or it can give us a companion, that it just feels good. We love what love can do for us. Think about it. it, it like, just think about the movies and the songs that are out there, and the majority of them are focused on what love can do for you. 
Um, and the problem with that is that the fundamental nature of the love, the, the way that God designed love to work, is that the second that it becomes about you, it's not as satisfying for you. The second that it turns inward and it's about you and about your needs and your wants, the second it, it, it becomes not nearly as satisfying. So we drift to a place where it's not about us because we want it to be more for us and it becomes less for us. Right? So, so I think what we've got to do is look and say, God has designed this to operate. That The most satisfying it is is when it's the least about you. And so, so we've got to get back to that place away from a more casual of what does love for, do for me. I was, I was pretty disappointed the other day. I was looking uh, online to grab a, a definition for love, and this was the definition that was there. Um, this is a secular idea of what love is, an intense feeling of deep affection. An intense feeling of deep infection. Affection, not infection, that'd be bad. <laughs> I was really nervous because I almost messed that up first service, and then there you go. An intense feeling of deep affection. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, like, that's it? I feel like that's not enough. Like, that might describe an angle of it, a perspective of it, but man, I feel like that's pretty shallow if it's just an emotion, even a deep emotion. I just don't think it satisfies. In the podcast we're going to record tomorrow, that's one of the things we're going to talk about is, is how I don't think evolution offers a, a good example for what we, or a good explanation for what we experience as love, um, at least not how we want it to be anyway. I think about it like this. Um, I go home, and there's days where I feel like laying down on the couch and taking a nap. And I go home, and there's days when I feel like playing with my kids. There are also days, many days, where I go home, and I feel like laying down on the couch and taking a nap, but I should get down and play with my kids. So feelings sometimes contradict what I know to be wise or what I know to be good or what I know to be better. And so if we run love through, through the, the window of this is what I feel like, do I think we're missing out. When I think of raising my boys to, to have a healthy marriage one day, my hope isn't that they say, I do, as long as it's convenient based on my feelings. My hope is they go, I do, for better or worse, which implies that I'm not going to feel like this one day. But love is something beyond my emotions. Love is something beyond the, the convenience of a situation. I think we want love to be more than a feeling. I, I think we're committed to say, I, I want more than that from a spouse. And I want to give more than that as a person. Uh, I, I just think there's got to be something that drives us when the emotions, when the feelings fade. Because those of us who've been married for a, a decade plus, you know that the feelings aren't always going to be there. And man, it's just not fair to operate marriage that way. I, I think what the scriptures offer us is a more holistic and a more devoted approach that I think is within the idea of what God designed. And I think it's within the idea of what we crave. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it in, in Song of Songs. It's eight chapters. would love for you to read it. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's put together as a song. It's really a series of songs. I would, I would say probably about seven or eight of them. Um, and the title of the book we call Song of Solomon or Song of Salmon, if, if that's how you want to think of it. Um, but the Hebrew title is, This is the Song of Songs. Meaning of all the songs you've ever heard that have been about love, this is the song. It's claiming to be better and higher and purer than any other love song. And, and so historically, my perspective on this is you've got Solomon who has some good decisions at the beginning of his life, and he gets to the place where he's the wisest man on earth, but there's two paths to get to wisdom. 
One is by trusting God and following after him. And one is by making a bunch of mistakes and then looking back and saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's Solomon. Because Solomon follows what was common of the time period as a king and he takes hundreds of wives and then he looks back and in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes later in his life, he talks about an emptiness that is there. And he warns his boys, he warns his kids, guys, watch out for this. Love the wife of your youth. You, you have this perspective where he's looking back and saying, I messed up, guys, I don't want you to. And so in Song of Songs, I think we see the song celebrating the marriage uh, of his first wife and the enjoyment he had before he became just an absolute moron and, and did some things that were extremely selfish. R- really, you've got to ask the question, why? Why does God even put this in the Bible? And that's been a question that people have written, written, written many things about. Why, does, why do we have a book of the Bible that's just really a song back and forth between a husband and, and a wife um, and, and you've got a chorus in there as well sung by some, some of her friends. But why is this in there? And I think if you look at the Bible overall, it makes total sense that it's in there because God keeps using the marriage relationship to be a reflection, to be sort of this anticipation of his relationship with us. That he calls it, he, he, and you look from the very beginning, there's marriage language of God's relationship with us that carries all the way through the very end when you have this actual marriage celebration where the followers of Christ are with God in heaven enjoying his love presently, right? So, so I think it makes total sense for God to say, here's a marriage that got it really right, even if it's just for a moment, for us to see, wow, this is, this is what waits for us, and, and this is the gift that God has for us to experience with him. So we've got two main people. We've got Solomon the bride, or no, I said that wrong, Solomon the groom, and you've got Shulamite the bride, and then you've got this chorus over here. It's the story of a king falling for a peasant girl. He's just enamored with her. She's enamored with him. They're telling the story of their love, not chronological. There's some poetic license here where they're going to sing about the wedding. They're going to sing about the wedding night. They're going to sing about some difficulties they experience. They're, they're going to sing about love as the nature of love itself. They're going to sing about the time they first met each other. It's just bouncing around, singing. Um, at times, it's quite provocative. Like, if I were to translate the Hebrew into English right now in front of you, a lot of you would be quite uncomfortable. If I explain the innuendos, you would be uncomfortable. Now, Connor told me that I should, um, but I was like, no, Connor, we're going to be professional. Like, if you want that level of information. (laughs) Anyway, that's sort of how it happened. Maybe not, so. Here's what we're going to do. I want to read three passages of Scripture. They're going to bounce around. We were going to have them up here, but y- y- you'll just have to listen, do your best to follow along. It's Song of Solomon 115, 8, 6, and 1, 2. Um, and, and I'll key in who's, who's talking when. So he says this in 115. How beautiful you are, my darling. It's the word beloved. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. That's sweet, right? That was good. Um, 8, 6. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And one, two, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Let's pray. God, I love you and I praise you that you designed us to experience this type of love. It's not bad, it's not awful, it's good, it's great within the context of how you designed it, Lord. And I pray throughout this series that you'd shape and mold our hearts, Lord. Um, the nature of what we're going to talk about can expose some deep heart hurts. And, and, and Lord, we, we hold on to some of the, the stubbornness and the pain from, 
from love for so long. I pray for healing, God. I pray for just a rejuvenation of marriages that are struggling, for those who have been hurt, that you would just comfort them with your love. I just pray you do something special. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, it's a small book, and you've got to understand, whenever you read the Bible, there's differences culturally, historically, geographically, where we've got to understand some things to make sense of it. So, like, for instance, this is not a place, guys, like, and I would encourage you, again, go back and read it, and even if, uh, husband and wife, you read, uh, guys, you read the he parts, girls, you read the she parts. You're going to laugh because it won't all make sense, but um, I will say, guys, this is not a place to find pickup lines because of the cultural difference. Like, if you go to your spouse and you're like, you look like a horse. I don't expect that to end the same way for you as it did for Solomon, okay? Like if you're like, your hair is like a flock of goats. We're probably going to do counseling, okay? So we're going to study. We're going to do our best to pull certain principles out that I think rise to the top. Look, look, hear me. This has made my marriage better. I have met with hundreds of people in counseling and teaching scenarios that has made their marriage better. But, Man, you've got you've to let God work in your heart. You've got to. Uh, it, can't, it can't happen any other way. It seems like I just read three totally random passages. They were, they were strategically checked, uh, chosen because, because what they do is they bring out three different words that the Hebrew uses for love. Now, in our English Bible, we wouldn't have picked that out. We would have seen darling or beloved in the first one, and then the other two would have been love. We would have just assumed that they were talking about the same thing. They're not. They're talking about very, very different things. And, and if you miss out on one of them, man, you lose an element of love that is, that, that is part of what makes it both complex and beautiful. And this is where, like, we're going to come up with a definition that I think just blows away the, the idea that love is an intense feeling of deep effect. I, I just think what Song of Songs offers in these three components of love, this is what, this is what I want in my marriage. This is what I want for your marriage. Um, and I compare it to, of course, of all things, food. <laughs> right? Um, and, and pie crust to be specific, okay? Because a, the, the, a good pie has crust on it. You can, like, anything's better with, in, in a pie form, right? Like, I was thinking, like, like you take stromboli. That's a, that's a pizza pie, right? Uh, but also so is a pizza pie. But anyway, um, whatever you, like, it just, pie makes things better. I think if you gave somebody a pie, it would just brighten their day up. And I'm not asking, but I'm telling, Okay. <laughs> Think about it. if the Republicans and Democrats exchanged pie, like homemade pie, man, I feel like, they'd be, yeah, anyway. Um, I think Jesus is the best solution to all the world's problems. I think pie is the second best, okay? And pie, what fascinates me is the crust is just three ingredients. It's like, uh, for the most part, it's flour, it's water, and some sort of fat. Now, I said butter in the first service, and I was scolded. I was supposed to say lard, Okay or Crisco or something. So I'm sorry, okay? Uh, but my point is, like, it's these three ingredients in the right way and the right amounts put together that make it, make it good. If you pull one of those out, you got a mess. It doesn't work. It's not how it's supposed to be. You know, pie, get out of here. Go somewhere else, right? You, you got to have those three together. So he, he, let's look at this. We had a nice graphic. It was going to be the three different elements of what love is, and there, there was going to be a visual because the first one is foundational, and then the other one, and then the other one. So you're just going to have to pretend that, okay? Uh, so the first one um, is, is friendship. The first word they use is the word for friendship. We'll talk about each one individually in a minute. Um, but the first one is friendship. 
And then the one on top of that is sacrifice. And then on top of that is passion. So you've got friendship, you've got sacrifice, you've got passion. If you pull one of those out, it's not nearly as amazing as what God intends it to be. It's just not. That's, that's how he designed it to operate and they're most supposed to be together. Uh, so let's work down through it. So actually we'll work from, top to, from bottom to top. We'll work with the, the friendship one first. It's the Hebrew word raya, which is a, is a relational friendship term. That's, it's the word translated darling or beloved. It's the word that you think of, think of when somebody stands up at their wedding day and they're saying, I'm, I'm so lucky because I'm marrying my best friend. You know, they're saying they're marrying my Rhea. This is, this is that component of it. It's a strong note of friendship. You just like being around them, right? You, you enjoy their company. This is the one where you think of, uh, think of a couple that's like 60 years old and walking on the beach together and they're still teasing each other and, and having a good time. They still have something to talk about when they go to lunch. That's, that's this couple. Now, this is the quickest one to fade. This is the quickest one to become routine and to, to become mundane because it takes intentionality to continue a friendship. It takes sharing adventures, going on dates. When I, when I have pre-marriage counseling, I say, I give you homework. The second you say, I do, in the next six months, you've got six dates that you have to go on. Why? Because we're creating a pattern that you actually spend time with each other doing something together. I don't care if it's, it's sitting down or going to the movies or, or grabbing a coffee or what. Whatever, it's doing something together. That's the bedrock for this all. That's the foundation. Because the other ones that we talk about, if you don't have, that, that's what inspires you for the other two. Right? So, so um, that's, that's the aha, that's the real, that's the, the foundational, the friendship. You've got to fight for that. Keep flirting, keep laughing, and, and keep building the friendship and making new memories. On top of that is ahava. Ahava is, um, is this idea that I'm, in this for you more than I'm in it for me. That what's important for you is more valuable than what's important for me. This, this is where I think, again, the secular concept of what love is just breaks down. Because this is saying I deeply care about you more, more than myself. And this is really the love that all of our theology is built upon, that God would have a hava towards us. That God would say, I will love you at cost to myself. And it's something that a deep affection will never really produce. Because this takes something more. It takes, it takes a covenant. It takes a, a choice above and beyond what, what we feel. Um, it, it's, it, it's a depth. This is, to me, central to the human existence. This is what we really long for. For somebody to look you in the eyes and say, I'm willing to, to serve you. I'm willing to care for you. I, I'm willing to, to do whatever it is that cost myself for your betterment. Uh, I, I was thinking about this and... Um, from the Bible's perspective, you've got the statement, God is love. They use that New Testament word for ahava, this idea that God is sacrificially committed to you. I, I just think that's awesome that God would choose to attach that to us. Because within that becomes a promise and, and, and a continued I'm going to. And so look, I don't know where you are, what, what you're wrestling with in life. I know sometimes life gets difficult and other people don't ahava you well. They don't, they don't love you at cost to themselves well and you get burnt for that because they look out for themselves and God's going, I love you. I am this love. And you will never find this love anywhere else the way that you will find it in me. This is, this is one of the reasons our marriages struggle because we look at, a, look at another human being going, I need you to fulfill my ahava desires and God's going, they can't. 
I mean, they can paint a picture of what it's supposed to look like, but that's my job, not theirs. Uh, Corinne and I watch a, a show on uh, Netflix. It's the BBC Sherlock. I just love the puzzle of trying to figure it all out. And uh, so you've got the, the characters that you have in it normally. You've got like Watson. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a scene, an episode where Watson is married and he finds out that his wife uh, happened to be a former assassin. Right? So a lot of parallels with my own marriage. <laughs> where I'm like, honey, if you were a double agent, it would have been nice to know. Okay? Uh, <laughs> but it, it's built into this big dramatic scene where, where he learns of her past. Just, just that that's who she was, not what she did. And he's got a file to, to figure out all that she ever has done. And so he's got a choice. He's either going to leave her and never see her again, or he's going to learn about her and study about the past and see if he can move on, or he's going to love her. And, and the, the, the episode builds to kind of put this at, at the center of what's going on. And, and so he comes back in the room, um, and, and he's holding the file with all of her stuff on. He throws it in the fire, and he says this. He says, the problems of your past are your past. The problems of your future are my privilege. Problems of your past are the problems of your past. The problems of your future are my privilege. That's a havilah. And that's exactly what God says to us in, in Micah when he says, I'll take your sins and cast them to the bottom of the ocean. The problems of your past are your past. And the problems of your future are my privilege. That's the love that we crave for. A love that doesn't use our weaknesses as leverage, but uses them as an opportunity to love. Ahava love is I make a lot of money and it's for us, not me. Ahava is you're sick and I'll care for you anyway. Ahava is you've, you've let me down and you've annoyed me, but I don't care, I love you anyway. Ahava is I'll give you a chance again. See, see I, I think we crave this. And, and I think it makes sense to us because it's what we long for. And, and God's going, this is, Ahava is my son Jesus on the cross for you. And so then marriage becomes this moment where we get to live out Ahava. We say, I, I love you more, I, I love you at cost to myself. And so we looked at this idea, this initial definition, and we're going, love is this deep affection. I, I, I don't think so. I think that's trying to come up with an explanation for something that's so much greater. I think that's, that's comparing like, you know, the Hershey Park where they have the little caricatures and they like exaggerate your, your features in cartoonish fashion. I think it's like comparing one of those to a Mona Lisa. And, and you can't possibly expect this to live up to that. We, we, we want, we crave the Mona Lisa because it's what God has done for us. Right, so that's so we've got Rael, the relational. We've got Ahava, the sacrifice, and then we have Dode, which is the book, the, the one that the book is really known for. Um, she says your love is more delightful than wine. She says your Dode is more excite, more more delightful than wine. And really, it, it, the word itself means to boil over, to boil over with with passion. It's meant to be intoxicating, per God's design. That that your love is, is better than wine. It's this idea that it's a true delight and an obsession with another person, a, a mutual enjoyment of them, expressing the others. Now, I have a little like illustration to work with, uh, and it involves fire. So just, just saying, we've got, I'm gonna focus just a little bit here because I've only done this once and it was first service. So I'm not joking, that was true. Everybody's nervous, me too. 
Okay, maybe I should not do this. Ah, I really expected that to blow up. I'm not going to lie. All right. So we've got a stove and we've got a pot of water, right? If you have those two things independent of one another, you just have a stove and a pot of water. That water's not going to boil. But when you put them together, it produces something. What Song of Solomon is teaching us is this idea that if you, if you take the relational love, the friendship, and you have that strong in your life and growing in your life, that's a stove. And then you put the sacrifice and the commitment and the I'm in this for you more than I'm in this for me, and you put them together, what happens is they have a result. And the result is to boil over. That it naturally produces that love, romantic love, in, in a marriage shouldn't be routine or mundane. It shouldn't be, well, we might as well. It should be the natural result of this person befriending you, of this person caring for you, and it produces a natural desire. What happens is if we separate these two, we don't have the result. It's not there. And, and so I remember uh, going to the mountains with, with a friend of mine, and I knew their marriage was a little bit rocky, and, and I wanted a window to be able to talk to him about this, and it wasn't really there. And then, then finally at one point, it, it, it starts to boil. This is real right here. Um, and my wife is really nervous. <laughs> but we're driving home, and he goes, how do you get your wife to do what you want? <laughs> well, there's a whole mess of problems with that statement. But let's just pretend you didn't. Let's talk about that, okay? Um, and, and so I'm like, well, well, tell me what you mean. And he goes like, well, she doesn't like do this. She doesn't do the laundry. She doesn't do that. And I'm like, okay. And this guy's like, he's torn up about this, right? And this is just his best effort to communicate why he's feeling pain in his life. And he, he goes, you know, I, I just don't get it. And I'm like, all right, well, let me ask you a question. Like, when's the last time you did something special for her? He's like, oh, I, uh, I got babysitting. Kids were away dinner, had some candles, some flowers around the jacuzzi top. He's like, that was a great night. I'm like, okay, so like, when was that? He was like, that was six years ago. <laughs> huh. You think like maybe there's any sort of correlation between your lack of chasing after her and caring about you? Do you think there's any sort of correlation there? He's like, I never thought about it that way. Look, if you take the pot of water off of the stove, you don't have boiling water. If you take the stove out from under the pot of water, you don't have boiling water. This is how God designed it. That you've got friendship, and you've got sacrifice, and it produces a passion that boils over. That's what the word means, to boil over. I'm going to turn this off, because some of you look pretty confused. That's the wrong way. There we go. That would have been bad. We're just going to gently set this down. There we go. Cool. Does anybody need hot tea or anything? So where does, where does this leave us? I don't think deep, deep, uh, deep, intense feelings of deep affection, I don't think they do it first. Here's what I think Solomon offers for definition for love. Love is a growing friendship shown by selfish, selfless service producing a delight in another. Love is a growing friendship shown by selfless service producing delight in another. I'll be honest with you. I think if, if we live this out a lot more, we put some marriage counselors out of business. I think, I think they do a great work, and don't get me wrong, I think they're helpful. But man, if we could show, if we made it a growing friendship shown by selfless service that produced a delight in another, I, I just, I think that gives us what we want. I think that's the, the heart of it all. And now he, here's what Solomon is, is 
and where he goes wrong ultimately, this should carry forward. This should continue to happen. It's not like, yeah, I had the stove on and I had the pot of water on, you know, and then we had kids and, and then, then I stopped. No, no, no. This should continue. This should, this, this should be something that's an ongoing shared experience. I put a quote on Facebook this week about, about intimacy relationally, how, how it's entering someone else's world and slowing down and seeing things from their perspective. And even this, this works with non-romantic stuff. Where, like I was just looking at, at my, uh, my six-year-old, and we have Fridays that we spend together during the, the, the first half of the day, and I'm looking at him, and, and he wants to do this, and I want to do that, and, and he wants to play, so like I get down and play, and then I'm like, wait a second, from his world, this is the most important thing that could happen. And so why don't I give it that attention? Why don't I give it that level of detail? And I caught myself, there was one moment where I stopped paying attention, and he goes, Dad, can we do something else? And I kicked back up in the, the character voice that we were talking before, and like he just, he just dove right back into it. Because I entered his world, and I cared about what he wanted, and I was patient enough to go after that. That's what we got to do. Right? It should keep going on. You remove one element, and it'll never be what it should. It'll topple. It'll never be what it should. Um, <laughs> This, this week I uh, was getting ready to, to meet with somebody, so I threw a shirt on, uh, a little bit nicer shirt, and I got ready, and I was w- about to walk out the door, and uh, Isaiah was just getting up, and he's a little groggy, and he's walking, and he goes, is it Sunday? <laughs> like, I was totally confused. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't have to go to school tonight. I'm like, yes, you do. He's like, I didn't think it was Sunday. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, you only dress nice on Sundays. <laughs> Like, oh, no, sorry, bud. Like, Dad just had a meeting today. But, but so, first of all, you're welcome. That this is the, I was going to wear a T-shirt today, and I was like, I can't use this illustration and wear a T-shirt. It won't work. So this is, this is for you. It's the nicest I'll ever look. But people see me in a suit, and they're just like, I'm sorry, you look uncomfortable. And I do. I've had people say, like, that just looks wrong. Oh, thanks. It's so encouraging. There's probably somebody in this room. Just kidding. Um, Look, love shouldn't be a dressier version of you that you wear occasionally. Love shouldn't be a nice shirt that you put on once in a while. And, and, and then uh, you, you show up for special occasions. And you're, no, love should be regular every day. This should be who you are. It should, it should be just the everyday nature of your, your relationship. That you're looking at somebody else and saying, how can I bring delight for you? I had a pastor that I grew up under, and he had, at every wedding he'd say, look, this wedding isn't just for, for this couple, it's for everybody in this room, because I know a lot of people fall out of love, and he said, I just want you to know that love is behavior more than it's emotion. And, and so he goes, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not e- easily angered, it doesn't keep record of wrongs. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, and he goes, look, this is behavior, not emotion. And so if you start behaving in love, you'll start to fall in love again. So it starts with the behavior. It's every day. It shouldn't be special occasion. And the idea here is that God has given us something incredible. But if we don't work to maintain it, if we don't make sacrifices to get there, you're going to look at a gift as if it's a, a burden. And God's heart is for you to see how incredible, how incredible this is. Um, she says this uh, in Song of Solomon 1, pleasing is the fragrance, or he says this, pleasing is, I'm sorry, she says this, 
Uh, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is perf- like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. She says, how handsome are you, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. You know, they often use the, the bedroom as this garden picture. That it's full of life. That it's fruitful. That it's, that it's just an enjoyable place to be around. It's the result of a friendship and a haba, a sacrifice, and it, it produces something and a passion for each other. That three, three types of, uh, of, I will say this, three challenges to have love continue to be what, what I think we want it to be, okay? Um, three challenges in this regard. The first one actually comes from a conversation with our head elder, Gary Heim. And Gary, like, I mean, you, it's... If, you're getting some kind of conversation. It's going to not be what you expect. It's going to be fun. There's going to be a story about how he did something stupid somewhere. It's just a good time to talk to him. So if you don't know him, get to know him. Uh, but Gary, um, Gary and I were talking about marriage, uh, and he, he said this. He said, his word's not mine, so I don't get in trouble. Uh, but he said, look, we all, we all stood up there, said I do, and agreed to something we didn't understand. <laughs> now, I did say, you're right. <laughs> So we all stood up there and said, I do, and we agreed to something we didn't understand. And there's truth to that, right? Because I didn't know that she would be stubborn. She didn't know that I would be more stubborn, right? I didn't know that she would get hurt. She didn't know that I would get hurt. I didn't know she'd get defensive. She didn't know I'd get defensive. And, and we agreed to things that we didn't understand. And, and don't get me wrong, I think it's incredible. But there's a complexity to this that we just didn't get. So the first challenge is this. We have to be able, if you're, if you're going to have that love that he talks about, if you're going to have that garden full of life, not weeds, uh, look, you've got to adapt for the seasons and the circumstances and the imperfections. You have to adapt for the seasons, for the circumstances, for the imperfections. She didn't know there would be a season of life where I'd be in the hospital for 10 days and she'd have two little kids to care for, right? I, I didn't know there would be circumstances around our family that would influence our family. She didn't know there would be imperfections that would show up in my care. We didn't know that. And if you can't adapt to that, then it's going to be difficult. You're going to be playing from behind a lot. This is where I reference love keeps no record of wrongs. If you want to get really good at adapting, don't hold on to what's holding you back. And some of us, we hold on to things for years and years and years. Man, I've done marriage counseling where, where the wife was so, so stubborn on some hurt that, that he would say, I don't know what I did wrong. And she'd say, you should know. And man, she took that to the grave of their marriage and they've been divorced for five years and he still doesn't know. I mean, come on, right? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Where's that? Isn't that, that that's what you want, right? That's what you crave. So give it to somebody else. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's you going, well, I could be mad, but I can't because the, there's no record of it. It kind of seems like vaguely familiar, like maybe you did this before, but I, I'm not keeping records of this because I love you, so I'm just going to let that one be its own issue, and I'm going to let this be its own thing. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's powerful. It's difficult, isn't it? Doesn't that make you appreciate what God did for you? He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Doesn't that make you appreciate that? Man, that, that's, that's why marriage is at the center of the scriptures. Because there's nothing that shows the complexity of God's love towards us any better. So uh, we've got to adapt to seasons, 
circumstances. We've got to adapt to imperfections. Like just that seasons one, I just want to challenge you with, I see, I see a number of marriages break down when the kids move out because there's a big hole in conversations. There's a big hole in time. This is why you build that friendship and you keep going with that friendship and you keep it there. That's a season you've got to adapt to. We're going to talk about that on the podcast. We've got um, Barry, Barry Payne's going to be, and I'm going to ask him that question. He didn't know about it until right now. Um, but how to adapt for seasons, you can plan on that. Good. Uh, so that's the first one. Second one is you've got to learn to communicate in a way that can wade through tense conversations. You're going to have them. You need to have them. You've got to learn to communicate in a way that can wade through tense conversations. Last spring, I went fishing with a couple of the guys on staff, with, uh, with Connor and with John, and we were out there, and we were fishing, and it started raining, and, and I caught a big bass. I'd show you a picture of it. The projector's not working, and, and I'm not that type of guy anyway. I would never brag about you know, fish story, but anyway, it was really big. Um, but it, we were so caught up in fishing that we lost track of the fact that the rain had come to the point where it started to rise. And I was on the other side of the river from where my car was. And so it's like, okay, um, I got to get over there. And so then like I start to go across and it's like, no, um, there's a bunch of big rocks there that are going to be really slippery. I can't go there. All right, oh, I'll come down here. No, there, it drops off or no, it's too swift here. And so literally I had to go like a block and a half down the river to get to a point where I could wade through. That is exactly what marriage conversations are like. I could use this word, but man, somebody's going to get knocked over with it. I could do it now, but if I do it in front of a bunch of people, somebody's going to get hurt. They're going to get swept away in the moment. I could reference this situation, but it's going to be too swift and the current's going to be too strong. You have got to have wisdom and how to wade through tense conversations if you're going to get marriage done well. You have to. That means you've got to hold on to words. It means you've got to choose words carefully. It means you've got to talk about how you want to communicate with somebody else because you've got to wade through tense conversations. I want to give you some help to this. This is, this is what, I, what I call um, the, the most important. All right? The most important for communication. We're talking about communication all the time in counseling. This is the most important. Most important is this. Is, and this is the one time I ask the guys to be openly romantic in, in, in communication in the whole marriage counseling process. I say, if you only had the ability to verbally speak one phrase to your spouse the rest of your life, what would it be? If you could only... Like, if you only cognitively had the ability to communicate one sentence the rest of your life, what would it be? So you, your wheels should be turning right now. Because if it's, what's for dinner? Bad idea. <laughs> if all you said was, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? What's for dinner? If that's all you could, you, you failed this. This has not worked out well for you. See me afterwards, okay? Um, so, so we ask, you ask this, and, and oftentimes it'll be like, I love you, and, I, and I'm thankful. I, I thank God for you. The guys oftentimes will steal something that they've seen off of a plaque somewhere. Like, I love you to the moon and back. I'm like, it's really nice, but you've got to be original, man. You can't just steal that off of a poem somewhere, all right? Uh, and, and so they get this phrase. And, and so for me, mine's, you're precious. You're precious, all right? And so here, if you want to be an expert communicator, this is it. Every lesser con- conversation and communication does not contradict the most important. Every lesser day-to-day casual routine conversation does not contradict the most important. And so when you're upset and you're frustrated with each other, you communicate in a way that doesn't contradict the more important message. And so I might be mad at her, I might be disappointed, but the tone that I use and the, the, 
the place that I do it in, where it's just us alone, it's not in front of a bunch of people, the, the, the history that's brought into it, I, all of it was within the context of I'm still telling you you're precious even though I might not be happy with you. That's how you get really good at communication. That's the self-control that God's Spirit wants to put into your life so that you're smart enough and caring enough to say that 50 years from now, I want that woman or that man to know they're precious. And if I keep contradicting it by speaking to them like they're stupid, I've lost communication war. I've won something else, but I haven't won a communication battle. So what you hope for is 50 years from now, you go, man, even when they were mad at me, I still felt like I mattered to them. I still felt like they were thankful for me. That's, that's, that's how you get good at communication, where you wade through the difficult, you, know, you wade through the tenseness in a way that doesn't contradict what really actually matters at the end of the day. You don't build up more history to have to work through by the way that we're trying to talk about the issues that are, that are in front of us. So, so that the, the first one is we've got to adapt to the season, circumstances, and imperfections. Second is we've got to le- learn to, to communicate in a way that wades through the, the tense conversations. And the third one is this, and this is my favorite, you've got to go fox hunting on a regular basis. I'm, I'm serious. You've got to go fox hunting on a regular basis. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. If you're not a hunter, you could do catch and relocate. That's fine. Okay? But you've got to go fox hunting. Song of Solomon 2.15. Now it will all make sense. She says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin our vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. In their society, what they had were these burrowing foxes that would burrow underneath the vineyards. They would burrow underneath the vine. And if you didn't catch them, they would undermine and they would degrade the, the foundation that the vineyard was built on and so it would collapse and you lose all the fruit and all the joy that it would produce would be gone because of a bunch of little foxes that could have been caught and relocated. What she says is, Solomon, honey, dear, please catch the foxes. Please get rid of the nagging things that keep undercutting our marriage. If it's the way we talk to each other, if it's the way we spend money, if it's the way your mom shows up at our house without asking, if it's the way that your mom or your dad speaks negatively to me like I don't matter, deal with the foxes, get them out of our house. They're going to keep undercutting what matters most, and that's your relationship together. You, you should be expert fox hunters a decade into your marriage. But you see a fox, you should be like, that does not live in my house. I'm getting it out. It's, gonna, it's, it's just going to be a disaster. We get rid of it right away. Be fox hunters and get rid of what, what's undermining your marriage. Take, take, please take that seriously. Adapt, wade through, and get rid of some foxes. Because otherwise you're going to have this difficulty for things to be as they should be with relational, with sacrificial, with, with passionate where God's saying, this is how I designed it to be. It's so much better than an intense feeling. It's so much more holistic. And if you want it, you're going to have to maintain it. It's like a garden. It's not going to keep the weeds out on its own. You're going to have to do it. You know what I love about this? This idea of this friendship, this sacrifice, and this, this intimacy. Jesus goes to his disciples. Don't call me Lord. Don't call me Master. Call me friend Jesus goes to the cross in love and Jesus paints a picture of the most intimate thing we'll ever experience in in a relationship that's now physically enjoyed with with us being physically next to God the Father and everything that we long for in that scenario Jesus is going I got it 
I have it for you. This is what you want. It's here. Enjoy it. And man, if God blesses you with somebody to share life with, enter their world and give them a friendship and give them a sacrifice and give them passion. That's what you want. That's what they want. Get rid of the stuff that's in the way. Now, I want this for you so badly because I've seen so many marriages come back to the place where they go, this is so awesome, I can't wait to be with God because this makes me want it all the more. Let's pray. Father, you are incredible. And, and just the wisdom with which you've designed this to operate, and really what stands in the way of it is often our own stubbornness. So Father, I pray as we look, look at this, we see a gift, we see you, first of all, gifting this to us that our heart and our vision would be just focused on you. Lord, I ask that you work in our hearts as we worship you. In your son's name we pray, amen.